we have the largest collection of Art Deco buildings in the entire world that is sitting in this 277 acre of what I call the crown jewel of the city of Dallas. And it was underutilized, but it was also extremely neglected. Home to the State Fair of Texas and the Cotton Bowl and the Performing Arts Center and a whole lot of other stuff, Fair Park is the crown jewel Dallas City Councilman Adam Basildua is referring to. If Prop A passes, we're able to not just have an impact of the anticipated $300 million that will come to Fair Park, we can actually leverage that up to be about a half a billion dollars. And I, I really can't say this enough, that's not only the single biggest investment in Fair Park's history, it's bigger than all money from all sources that have been invested here since 1936 in total. That is a game changer. But others say we still need to reckon with the area's past. To me, what happened around Fair Park is no different than what happened in Tulsa. You know, just wasn't as visible and wasn't as violent. But, you know, you take away the things that people work for, the home, the sense of safety and security that you, uh, a, a mother and father offer for their children, and you take that away for concrete. Friday, and North Texas wants to know, what does the future hold for Fair Park? For any Dallasites, they know Fair Park has been a challenging property, and that's true of a lot of these historic sites around the country. That is Brian Llewellyn. He's the CEO of Fair Park First. If you haven't heard of it, it's the nonprofit charged with managing and improving the park. Uh, Balboa Park in San Diego, Forest Park in St. Louis. A lot of these sites have had to have a renaissance, and we are charged with bringing about one for Fair Park. And luckily, when you ask about funding, we have an incredible opportunity coming up on the November 8th ballot that we are helping uh, lead the charge on. So on November 8th, Dallas residents are voting on a proposition that would raise the city's hotel occupancy tax by 2%. That change could bring in more than $1 billion over the next 30 years. Now, most of that money would go to building a new convention center, but up to $300 million could go to Fair Park. So question for you, do you think it's going to pass? Right now, we're not aware of any sort of organized or formal opposition. So it, it's really down to every single person that might be listening to this podcast, uh, yourselves included, turn out and vote. This is an incredibly unique mechanism because though it is ambitious and will literally invest billions of dollars connecting downtown to the southern communities in a way that is brand new for the city of Dallas, it's not going to cost local taxpayers anything. This is a tourist tax that if voters approve it, would increase our, our hotel occupancy taxes. And, and what that means is when we go to other cities, you know, there's like 20 taxes at the bottom of your hotel bill. This will be one of those. The Fair Park First Group over the past two years has put more money back into the park than what has been invested in since the women's building was built 30 years ago. That's just a perspective to give you. I tell you that to tell you that the the amount of neglect that has taken place at the fairgrounds is exponential. Councilman Basil Dua, who we heard from earlier, actually represents Dallas's 7th district, which includes Fair Park. Mm -hmm. And it's not 
something that is going to be repaired over day, overnight. It's not something that one group is going to be able to take the reins from and change um, immediately. So it's going to take a, some, some love and care and, and funding sources, like hopefully we're going to get from the voters this November and the Brimer Bill and some creative ways to get these buildings back to the original state so that then we can advertise them accordingly. We can get tenants, long-term tenants in them and have their, their fullest potential actually shown. Because right now, the programming that we've seen with some of the biggest concerts that we've had there in decades at the Cotton Bowl or the rebranding and the programming that's taken place at the Music Hall with Broadway Dallas. Part of making this work is making sure that we're really offering um, bands like Coldplay and the Rolling Stones, who have recently played the Cotton Bowl, the first major concerts in over 20 years in that facility, the right experience. The singer from Coldplay, Chris Martin, talked about how intimate the Cotton Bowl was, that it was the most mm -hmm. intimate stadium in North America. It reminded him of European soccer stadiums that they love to play. That's great. And as long as we can elevate the fan experience, that program is there. I often say whenever I hear people complain, you know, I, I, I would get a call. I went to the to the Coldplay concert. Man, it was an awesome concert, but it was a nightmare getting out of there whenever I left. And I'm like, yeah, well, we can't have Jerry World programming without Jerry World infrastructure. But here's the thing, for all this talk about Fair Park's future, leaders know they have got to be honest about its past. Talking about those neighborhoods surrounding Fair Park, part of the uncomfortable history of that area involves the city buying up land from mostly Black families. So yep. how do you assess the area's history from that perspective? Absolutely. In fact, um, that is uh, a huge nuance, I believe, to what is taking place here uh, now. Because if you're not cognizant of the history, then you can't truly be committed to changing the future. Here's a bit of history for you. The Dallas State Fair and Exposition was chartered in 1886 on 80 acres. That's according to the book Fair Park. The first day designated for black residents to attend the fair came three years later. But that was discontinued in 1910, according to D Magazine. Meanwhile, the State Fair of Texas held Ku Klux Klan Day in 1923. That's when roughly one in three eligible men in Dallas were members of the KKK. The park was expanded in 1936 for Texas Centennial Exposition, and that is when Negro Achievement Day was instituted, giving black residents just a single day to fully participate. Some of the lowest, I should say highest, poverty rates in uh, the entire city surround the fairgrounds. That also is by design. That also is by the city's intentional neglect and intentional uh, underinvestment. So uh, this is also, um, this should be a commitment to the residents of Fair Park South Dallas that we want to put our money where our mouth is, that there is going to be an investment into their community that's not going to be in vain, that's not going to be masked as an investment for them that is really an investment that I would call an appeasement. I use that word intentionally because the State Fair of Texas had what was called Negro Achievement Day that Juanita Kraft very 
uh, what's the right word, cleverly used uh, or changed and coined the, the term to be it was Negro Appeasement Day. And then came the 1960s. That's when the city seized more land from a predominantly black neighborhood, using it just to put in more parking. To offset Fair Park even more, the entire park is surrounded by a metal fence. Fair Park is a public park. I mean, it's the city of Dallas's public park, and it's open and available to everyone, even though it is surrounded by fencing. So it looks like it's completely impenetrable. Are, are we welcome there even? We should be. You know, the park, the park should be open and welcoming. But um, I just feel the residents, first of all, don't feel welcome. That's Dorothy Hopkins. She's the president and CEO of the nonprofit Frazier Revitalization. It's referring to the Frazier neighborhood, which is located just east of Fair Park. I believe that this community park that is going to be built on some of the parking lots over there on, on uh, Fitzhugh, and Lego Street, I believe that that is in some part uh, to be viewed as reparation for, you know, the city's past sins. But is that is that enough or is it too little, too late? You know, I mean, it's kind of yet to be seen, too, how the community is going to embrace that park. At least it's going to be outside of the paywall and outside of the of the surrounding fencing. Construction on a 14-acre community park is set to begin in January. And that park is being built on the same piece of land taken by the city in the 1960s. This time, there will be no fence. That's a huge part of what was taken up by eminent domain. It uprooted thousands of Black families. It's actually cited that uh, a part of why it was uprooted was not just for the parking that was needed for the State Fair of Texas that was only open for a, a month of the year, but it was also to eliminate the elements of the community from being a part of what was taking place at the State Fair of Texas. This community park is going to be, in my eyes, um, one that gives Clyde Warren Park a run for its money. The programming that exists there, the uh, water features, the ability to have live music, and just the aesthetic appeal alone, I believe people are going to really look twice and say, wow, we're in South Dallas. And I'm excited for that to be the takeaway. I'm excited for us to see that there's going to be an underground below grade parking deck that's a part of what's being uh, uh, brought in because we're going to kind of hide away uh, some of the wrongs that were done in the past. And and don't get me wrong, I can't for a second try to um, shield this as uh, reparations because it's not. Uh, you, we can't we can't undo the wrongs that have been done in our in our city's past, but we can give this back to the community. Any process that where you're talking about changing the trajectory of a community, you're talking about transformation. It has to begin with the people and the relationships that you build with them to understand. You know what's going on. You know what are you really experiencing? Because you may write a policy. But that policy and practice may not accomplish what, you know, what you want to see. Felisa Connor is the VP of Operations for Frazier Revitalization. And so I think cities and the departments have to be given, given some flexibility to make adjustments 
so that when they start down a path and they see that it's not working or whatever the outcome is they're trying to achieve, that it's not working, that they can go back and adjust. The mission of Frasier Revitalization is kind of obvious from its name. It's trying to reinvigorate the neighborhood near Fair Park. It's not just about the physical conditions, but uh, the people feel able to own the future of their community, advocate for decisions that are being made about uh, the well-being, their own well-being, whether it's infrastructure needs, new commercial property that may be coming in, all of the things that we all take for granted and that we care about in the places where we live, we want them to feel empowered to make those decisions for themselves. I want to just take a second to meditate on what that means. People talk about this homogenous South Dallas. What we call South Dallas is bigger in land mass and population than the city of Atlanta. Fair Park alone is surrounded by 24 distinct neighborhoods, all of whom deserve a better opportunity. Obviously, we also need to be responsible and think about the negative impacts of uh, development, gentrification. And so we work with local nonprofits and also the city to help make sure that we're exploring protective actions that might provide tax ceilings for people whose property values are going to increase to the point that it could result in displacement. We're very sensitive about that because we have to start being a better neighbor, not just a big neighbor in this community. We have taken a path of trying to preserve the existing affordable housing for the residents that live there. Dorothy uses the word uh, legacy residents. I love that because these are the people who live here, who have uh, who have chosen to remain in the community. They could have moved other places. They have the resources. They had the resources at one point to move somewhere else, but they chose to remain here. It's where they grew up. And then they wanted to see if they could be a difference maker in the community. One of the things Hopkins and Connor both agree on is that the area needs more permanent tenants, not just the three-week state fair, occasional football games, and concerts. What one neighbor does certainly affects the other neighbor. And so... As you can see over the years, the decline of Fair Park has certainly created and or added to the decline of the adjacent neighborhoods. And so just by that, I would think that any improvements that go on in Fair Park would also then directly relate or directly affect the surrounding neighbors. Lou Allen says it's a mix of both. In the last 12 months, we've brought in four new year-round operators. Uh, Those are the first new organizations in the park in 23 years. I feel like everything I say, I have to say, you know, Fair Park hasn't done this in a couple of decades. Um, But as with the new tenants, uh, it's critical that we activate that. But you need a critical mass of humanity to make sites like this work. And in order to get that daily visitation up, we need to also enhance these incredible exhibition facilities that are ideally suited to host events. I mean, I'll give you a great example of the kind of things that Dallas has left on the table relative to Fair Park. Um, FIFA World Cup is coming to North Texas in just a couple of years, in 26. And Fair Park's been identified as a site. Now, that's contingent on this mechanism passing because the facilities just aren't suitable to host the other activities. I'm not suggesting games at the Cotton Bowl. We know those are going to go out to AT&T and Arlington. What we're more interested in are those multi-day fan experiences that would basically give us additional state fairs stacked on top of it that really round that out. 
So what have been some of the biggest hangups when it comes to funding these kinds of changes in Fair Park just over the past few years? White leadership. Um, and, and I say that very intentionally. We have had leaders of our past for too long who have allowed for our South Dallas, Southern Dallas, Black and Brown community of Dallas to be at the forefront of the, I hate to say it, uh, but the accommodation. Um, and that is what it is. I mean, the, the book that was written by Jim Schutz in 1987 explains it very well. We have what is called in many aspects, the Dallas way. And the Dallas way has been in many ways, just going along to get along and not allowing for the very clear issues of racial rate of racist America to be something that Dallas plays into. We've allowed for that to be um, a portrayal of reality when it, when the real reality is we have probably the most segregated city in the entire country. We have um, very intentional policy that has made it extremely difficult for leaders like myself to undo a lot of the wrongs that have been that have been done in our in our city's past. The disparities and the segregational lines that exist in our city are so glaring. You cannot ignore them. And it is clear on socioeconomic lines, but it's even clearer on racial lines. And when you look at that, you've got to be willing to um, to call those out for what they were and to make intentional changes going forward. What I believe is critical to these historic sites is an activation schedule that brings new audiences all the time. This is a generational story, and it's very easy for sites to age out of our cultural lives. You've got to constantly welcome new young people here. You've got to bring them back on a repetitive basis. And one of the things that's really encouraging about Prop A is we've, of course, been doing some polling. And one of the things we found is 75% of Dallas residents and likely voters believe it is very important or important to invest in Fair Park in South Dallas. And we learned that the vast majority of people surveyed, well over 60%, not only visit Fair Park every year, they visit Fair Park multiple times every year. And I think that flies in the face of a lot of perception. You know, one of the things that uh, my wife asked me whenever I first said I wanted to run office was she she asked what do you want to do when you go and i said i want i want to look back eight years from now and it be a new south dallas and 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 i said but i don't want it to be lost i don't want it to look like lost Venus. i want it to look like south dallas you know um so it's hard to answer because i still want blackjack pizza to be there i still want two partners to be there i still want there to be um, an integrity that exists of historical nature that you can appreciate and uh, and and learn from and understand and and and, and again appreciate. I, I want you to 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 grasp the fabric of the people that South Dallas encapsulates, which is by large 
Black Dallas. Black Dallas that uh, in, in some respects wasn't even by choice. They were made to be Black Dallas uh, because of the powers to be. Um, but they are the most resilient Dallas and they are uh, the most prideful Dallas. I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you for joining me on our podcast, North Texas Wants to Know. Before you go, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, go ahead and share it with your friends. This episode was produced by Chris Blake and Savannah Jones. Original music by Michael Eisenstein. Editorial support from Cooper Mall. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. 